0: Chapter 20 of Order Number 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Keenan. Order Number 11 by Caroline Abbott Stanley. Chapter 20. Tramp, Tramp, Tramp. And there was tumult in the air, the fife's shrill note, the drum's loud beat, And through the wide land everywhere, the answering tread of hurrying feet. The capture of Camp Jackson, with the subsequent firing upon the crowd of spectators, was a bomb that set Missouri ablaze. The state had been invaded, blood had been shed. Surely the fullness of time had come now. The river counties sprang to arms. Within a week, they were hurrying to the capital. From Cooper and Cole and the kingdom of Calloway. The Independence Greys went down with full ranks, Beverly in the forefront and Ike Swamscott beside him. They carried the cannon captured from the arsenal at Liberty. A cannon was a thing to be proud of. Not every soldier who took up arms in Missouri took up more than the Lord had given him. But they did their best. Hunting rifles were taken down from the antlers, and shotguns and powder horns called into requisition. As the flintlock muskets of their revolutionary forefathers had been. It was anything that could shoot. It seemed lucky for once that the Missourians were a bellicose people. Revolvers were commoner with them than with their brethren in the North. Beverly had gone forth buoyantly. It would not be long, he said. And Virginia, believing him, had buckled on his sword with hands that did not tremble and eyes that shone. The two stood together at the horse-blocks, just before he went away. He had been down the road toward Mr. Wayland's To say good-bye, he said. Verge, he said suddenly, stooping to examine his saddle-girth, "'why don't you and Sally and the rest of the girls ever go to see Lois Chandler?' "'Lois Chandler,' repeated Virginia, wonderingly. She was thinking of war, not girls. Why should we?' "'She's the prettiest girl in the neighborhood.' And she's a nice girl, too, if her father did vote for Abe Lincoln. "'She is awfully pretty,' assented Virginia, who was not without ability to see beauty in another girl. "'And she's nice enough, too, I suppose. She always seemed so at school. But, brother, you know, she's just not our kind. She says hadn't ought, and how, and all that.'" "'Verge,' Beverly's tone was very serious now. If the time ever comes when you could do a kindness to Lois Chandler, I want you to do it. She must be awfully lonely. Did you ever think how cut off she is from everybody? And besides—the girth needed tightening now—a friend of yours thinks a good deal of her. A friend of mine? Virginia's cheeks glowed with a sudden inflow of blood. Well, I'm sure he's welcome to. Who is this friend of mine? He looked at her curiously a moment and then threw back his head with his old-time hilarious laugh. He was going to speak, but just then his father joined them and the opportunity was passed. Virginia pondered over his words not a little when he was gone. Why should she go to see Lois Chandler? Suppose Gordon did think a good deal of her. Of course it was Gordon. That was nothing to her. He had always liked her when they were in school together. But so had Beverly and the rest of the boys. She was just the kind of a girl that boys always took to, pretty and clinging, and not much sense. Perhaps it was her dependence that appealed to all the masculine hearts, she said to herself, scornfully. Perhaps it wasn't Gordon, after all, that he meant. Then there came to her the recollection of what Gordon had said to her the day she tried to find out if it was Lois he had been walking with. If I or Beverly or any of the boys wanted to tell Lois Chandler good why shouldn't we? Yes, it was Gordon. It was very lonely when Beverly was gone. So many of the boys were with him. Ike Swamscott and Lee McMurtry and John Pascoe and the two Caldwell boys and, oh, ever so many. And it was not the young man alone. Ben Tollis had stood it till Old Virginia went. Then he said he couldn't go again his native state. And there were many just like him. There was a clattering back and forth in Jackson County. The recruiting officers scoured the country, and not in vain. The other side was not idle. From Kansas City, Van Horn had gone to St. Louis and obtained permission to organize a battalion. Recruiting had begun in earnest. The blight of war had fallen upon the ragged little town at the mouth of the Kaw. Business, except that growing out of military operations, was practically suspended. Gordon had intended settling there when he got his degree, but anybody with half an eye could see now that Kansas City, with its neighbors on the west, was a place to leave if one could get away. A few months before it had been a thriving village of twenty-five hundred. By May it had shrunk to half that size. On Grand Prairie they were bracing themselves for a shock. Mr. Caldwell had taken his negroes and his mules and gone to Texas. Jackson County was too close to the border for safety, he said. Tigerman, having little else in the way of personal property, had packed up his wife and children and gone. Nobody knew where. Perhaps he also noticed that Jackson was pretty close to the border. Judge Saunders has taken his negroes down to Arrow Rock, said Colonel Trevilian to his wife one day. He had just come from Independence. "'He has. Do you think there's any danger?' she asked anxiously. "'Not with ours,' he said confidently. "'I have no fears whatever of our Negroes leaving us. Why should they? They've always been treated well, and they have sense enough to know it.' "'I don't know, Father,' Virginia said, looking up from the gown yoke she was embroidering. "'Liz says Jake told her they would all have a farm if they went to Kansas.' and wouldn't have to work any more. It has evidently been talked over." "'My dear,' returned her father, with some irritation, "'you ought not to encourage Liz to talk about such things. It is preposterous.' "'I don't encourage her father. I told her it was ridiculous. I don't know where Jake got it from.' "'Old man Chandler, probably,' remarked Miss Nanny, with acerbity. Gordon came home in June but not to locate in Kansas City. He had held himself until his diploma was earned, but his heart was keeping step to the drumbeat of the nation. Paul's message had come to him. I speak unto you, young men, because you are strong. What better use for his strength than to defend his nation's flag? I knew you would go, his mother sighed. I have been nerving myself to meet it. Oh, yes, I know it is right, dear child, but... I am afraid I am not made of such stuff as the Spartan Mothers." But Dr. Lay grasped his hand as man to man, and Gordon felt his heart thrill with a new determination and strength. "'Go, my son, go. Our country needs her bravest now.' Gordon went over to Keswick the next day. There had not been much communication between the families during the last few weeks, and Sally was down in Cass on a visit. Beverly was gone, they knew that much. And so did he, for Sally had written him how handsome he and Ike Swamscott looked in their new uniforms. Most of the troops were ununiformed, but the Grays were an exceptional company. He did not tell them where he was going, nor ask any of them to go with him. So many things had happened since he had seen them last. So many things were likely to happen now, and he felt himself growing hot and cold as he thought of the differences between them. Carefully put away, not for love of it, but for love of the fingers that made it, was the little rebel flag that she had sent him. How often he had thought of the message that came with it. This is the flag that the friends of Virginia fight for. What would she think of his enlisting to fight against it? But he knew perfectly well that, whatever she thought of it, he should do it. He had fought that battle, first of all, and come off victor, though a little faint and spent, perhaps. He gave his bridle and a coin to the grinning negro who came shambling out from the rear. "'Howdy, Mars Gordon. Thank you, sir. How does your corporosity seem to saggish sir?' "'All right, Jake. My corporosity is in prime condition. You haven't forgotten how to talk dictionary, I see, since I've been away. How are you?' "'Mighty poorly, bluster-lord, sir.' No well-bred negro ever owned up to being anything more than poorly or tolerable at most. "'You don't look it,' said Gordon, giving the sleek face and well-fed body a critical glance. "'You are possumman. How's Caroline?' "'Caroline's just tolable, sir. She's got a misery in her chest, Caroline is. "'Mars Gordon looks like you favors your pa more and more all the time. You just a very spit of him.' yes yeah, sir dat you is are the ladies at home jake gordon's heart was beating so that he was glad of the negro's loquacity it gave him time to steady himself yes yeah, sir dey all in de house scusin of miss virginia she done gone to independence to make a visit Just walk in mars gordon dey done heerd de pronouncement that you'd come from y'alls bentley was comin over here sparkin at triflin no count liz I reckon they's contemplating your arrival, sir." They received him exactly as they would have done a year ago. They talked of his journey home, his school, his commencement, Virginia's absence and the disappointment she would feel at not seeing him. Everything but Beverly and the war. People grew very skillful in those days at threading the passages of conversation without running into shoal water. At last Gordon asked pointedly about Beverly. He is in Jefferson City, Mrs. Trevilian said, with a little tremble of the chin. We couldn't keep him, Gordon. Some of us didn't want to keep him, Miss Nanny said, with flashing eyes. I gloried in his spirit. Mrs. Trevilian talked straight on. Gordon's heart sank. In many ways Virginia was like Miss Nanny. She was intense and sometimes imperious. And yet she was like her sweet mother, too, who was always reasonable. This was the undercurrent that was running in his mind while Mrs. Trevilian talked. She told him all about Beverly and the message he had left. Miss Nanny had been called away, and they talked more freely without her. He said he knew you would be for the Union, Gordon, but that that should never come between you. And Gordon felt a sudden rush of feeling to heart and eyes. He rose to go at last, and Mrs. Trevilian went with him out upon the pillared portico. Keswick had never looked more beautiful. A queen of the prairie was trained around one column, and a Baltimore bell, with its full set clusters and the fragrance one never forgets, was on the other. At the parlor window was a sweet briar. He and Virginia had found it in the woods one day, and planted it there. They were all doing their bravest. It was a time for nature to help, and Missouri roses are riotous in June. They stood in silence. Not a word had been said about his plans. He looked out now over the scene before him with a sudden prophetic anguish of spirit. How peaceful it was! How beautiful! What would it be when he saw it again? On the left was the summer-house. How often he and she had sat there together! Would they ever again? When he turned to Mrs. Trevilian, his eyes were dim. He took her hand and raised it to his lips. It has been like home to me, he said, and I may not see it again. Her hand closed over his. You are going, she said, rather than asked. I am going. I can't expect you to say Godspeed, Mrs. Trevilian, but give me your blessing. She took him in her arms. He was almost like her own son to her. God keep you, my child. I pray him that you two may never meet in battle. Heaven granted. But if we do, I do not need to tell you, Mrs. Trevilian, that this arm will never be raised against him. I believe it, Gordon," she said. It comforted him afterward to remember her fate. And this was the sweet memory of Keswick he took with him. End of Chapter 20 Recording by Brian Keenan.